Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. It's Sam Bruce, joined as ever by Christy Doran, who is dialing in from the Apple Isle down there in Tasmania. Um, I hope you had a great Easter and uh, you've been enjoying yourself down there. Um, how's it all been? Been great. A couple of Tasmanian wines. They're always fabulous. Um, but really crisp air. It's it's uh, it's getting cold. Jumpers all around. It's not quite the sunny blue skies of Sydney that I've been seeing. But nice to nice to be down here. Great weekend of rugby and um, lots of interesting storylines at the moment heating up ahead of Super Round. So it's a it's a fun time to be in rugby. Certainly is, uh, and where it was uh, heating up, uh, or even uh, the uh, the icy cold reference there, the air, mate. Um, you'd have to say the air between Ballymore and Moore Park right now is particularly frosty, given the developments of last week. Um, now, let's just to backtrack it for potentially for those who might not have um, followed it completely. Uh, Wayne Smith, of course, the veteran News Corp writer who is now doing a column a week for the Sydney Morning Herald, um, getting a quote out of Brad Thorne that yes. He's absolutely interested uh, in coaching the Wallabies one day, that his future lies in Australian rugby more so uh, than New Zealand rugby. He sees himself as an Aussie and, and is, uh, is motivated by the, the opportunity to one day take on the Wallabies job. Now, they kind of came really out of nowhere. I think probably a lot of people felt that Brad was um, firmly entrenched in, in Queensland rugby and, and certainly uh, to a degree Australian rugby. Um, but further down in that article uh, was a, a quote from an unnamed Rugby Australia source, which we'll touch on shortly, um, saying that Brad was not a team player um, and that he had not been forthcoming uh, on working, um, I guess, uh, alongside Rugby Australia or Wallabies staff was the, the allegation from this unnamed source. Now, Christy, um, this is not new, of course, in, in sports media, let alone rugby media, that... Um, that uh, sources are, uh, are unnamed or they say to be used as background or, or whatever else. But um, it's certainly inflamed tensions with Queensland rugby and David Hannum, the, the QAU uh, chief executive, uh, releasing a statement on, on Wednesday night saying uh, how disappointed he was by that criticism. And then Brad Thorne fronted up the next day. Um, mate, this all just blew up completely. And uh, you have to say that relationships, relations, sorry, between... RA and uh, and the QR, you are, are back to uh, you know a fairly low point. Yeah, I think they have been for not necessarily the low point, but they've been a there's been a tension between the two for quite a while because Rugby Australia has been trying to push towards a more centralised program for some time for a good twelve months. It's been on the forefront of their minds, and one of the states, a key state being the QRU, has shown some. Know, apprehension um, towards moving to that. They've got a good program. Um, they don't want to be losing some of their youngsters. They recognise the, the strength of their pathways. And quite rightly, they've developed and they've shown that those pathways are strong and that the high-performance structure is, is one that is a successful one. And if you look at all the under-20s players that have come through, probably since Brad Thorne became the you know, the Queensland under-20s coach um, and then into the Queensland head coaching role where the likes of Lucan, Salakai Loto, Isaac Rodder, um, into your Liam Wrights, uh, your Tate McDermott's, et cetera, et cetera. They start to come through and they all develop. Queensland doesn't want to lose those, nor does Queensland rugby want Rugby Australia to start, 
you know, contracting all their players. Um, they, they don't necessarily have a huge amount of trust that that's the right way. But I think there's also an element of they don't want to lose potential jobs. They, they see that they've turned it around, not on the field, but off the field too. Uh, so there's that underlying tension, which has been simmering away for some time. Um, the line out of Wayne Smith's story, I thought it was a little bit out of place. Um, I didn't think it was necessary that in a, in a story where Brad is clearly um, opening up and saying that I want to be considered for the next, you know, for an Australian coaching role down the track, whether it's in 24 or, or, or later. But I didn't think it necessarily fit that you needed to have a, you know, it's not just a grenade, that's really a rocket that you've fired across. Um where you're bringing up something that will set the cat amongst the pigeons. And that's certainly what has happened. Um, you know, there was you know, a couple of stories. I think Georgina Robinson on the Wednesday followed it up. I followed it up, I think on the Thursday it may have been. Um, but, it, but it certainly um, raised a lot of eyebrows. I thought it was completely unnecessary, Queensland's rugby's response. You know, there's no need to necessarily go into that. And then uh, he said, she said, um, Brad, the Thursday, uh, he's always going to be asked about that. So I don't think he necessarily could have answered differently. And I thought, you know, his response was completely fair. Um, but, it, but it, you know, Queensland, we know how passionate their fan base is, um, even in the real lows of 2015, 16, 17. Um, you know, the 8,000, the 10,000 that were there, but there was a larger fan base that were just ready to come back and support rugby. So... It's it's a big it's a yeah speaking to people at Rugby Australia, um, other sources not just within Rugby Australia. There is a there is an idea that um, whether or not Brad's a great coach or he's a great head coach, there, there's that. Whether or not he's a great man manager is another issue. Um, but it's all coming to a head at the moment, and it's no surprise. And it's when when people like Taniella Tupo and other influential players are involved. Um, that have got, you know, they're thinking about their next career move. Um, it's high stakes at the moment. Absolutely. And this rumour with Taniella has been doing the rounds now for a few weeks, uh, linking him with the Western Force. But we know he's going to be offered mountains and mountains of money, you would suspect, by uh, French clubs in particular, where they value, uh, they place huge value on, on tight head props, perhaps more than anywhere else in the world and and he's probably looking at um you know a, a deal that could rival what's been reported for tom banks in japan um potentially you know upwards to even one and a half million dollars a season you would suspect by the time you do the euro conversion of course um he's he knows that too he's he's a player that understands his worth um clearly he fronted uh, he was front and center of the stand sport um campaign this year um so he knows his worth as a as not just a player on the field, but a, a real marketable guy off it, the way he plays on the field and the way, he, you know, he's a bit of a jokester and um, he, he understands his value in the market moving forward. Now, um, I'm sure Rugby Australia would love to keep him in Australia if possible. And if that means going to the force, then, then so be it. But um, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of package they can put together uh, in conjunction with the Reds to, uh, to keep him on these shores uh, moving forward. Yeah, you're not wrong, but you know, how, how Taniela Tupo might only get a, a similar offer overseas to Tom Banks, I, I can't possibly fathom or comprehend. Um, but you know, a slightly different point. I, 
I, I think for more than a year, there had been some tensions with Taniela there around, you know, playing minutes, et cetera. You know, let's not forget he was playing close to 80 minutes every game last year. Yep. Um, there's another school of thought that goes, well, if you're going to get paid money, Taniela, you've got to play. And, you know, by the way, it's an 80-minute game. And, yes, you might have to play 80 minutes a minute a game. I don't think there would be a coach out there that necessarily thinks that's a great idea for a tight head prop to be doing that. But... You know, I think Taniela has to uh, accept that he'll be called upon to play big minutes. And also, for the record, it's not like he's playing 80 minutes or even 40 minutes a lot of the time for the Wallabies. He's second choice behind Alan Alatoa, as it currently stands. More often than not, Alan is considered the first choice tight head. So um, I would worry more about your game than, than, uh, than the minutes that you're playing. Um yeah, they have to be. They have to be a little bit careful here. They don't want to lose him. He's a great person to have when it's for Super Rugby, particularly. Um, from a national point of view, you you don't you're probably going to be picking Taniela as one of your three picks if he was to go overseas, but you don't yeah. necessarily want to, do you? Because it means limits you only with two others. What? Um, just going back to Brad Thorne for for a moment. Um, there was a he he strongly rejected him being a, not being a team player. The Queensland rugby obviously strongly rejected him being a team player. I, I heard a story late last week where um, the Rugby Australia, the Wallabies management, had asked each of the five Super Rugby coaches to select what they would have as a 40-man training squad for the recent camp. They could pick whoever they wanted. And the only one, the only Super um, franchise that didn't send in back to the Wallabies was indeed the Queensland Reds. Uh, they will ask kind of why, uh, you know, I don't think that that sort of thing is Brad Thorne's cup of tea. That may, and I'm not sure, but that may be why the inference came about him not being a team player. But um, it's an interesting one and and that perception will have to change for him to be a uh, coach going forward. But, but regardless, I think, it, you know, Brad actually touched upon his desire to coach international rugby last year Um and it was straight after the Super Rugby season. I forget the exact same uh, the moment, but Jordan Bataille, it was asked whether or not Jordan has been seen as a fullback. And he said, well, we've got Jock Campbell here and we think he's a great fullback. So it's not the first time that he's spoken about his international desires. Um, but it's far too early to be talking about that because let's be honest, there's 17 months before the Rugby World Cup. A lot could happen between there. And, and from my understanding, if, if Dave or any and the World Semi-Finals of next year World Cup, he'll be offered a, a contract extension. Um, so it's far too premature to be talking about that. And it always comes down to timing. And it comes down to your success against New Zealand Kiwi franchises. And it's not just in the in the pool stages, in the, the regular round. It's it's come finals footy. And that's why Ewan McKenzie, 2011, you, um, and Michael Checker, 2014, timed their runs very well indeed. That feels like the market, doesn't it? That semi-final uh, performance at the World Cup. Um, that if uh, the Wallabies were to get through to that uh, under Dave Rennie, that he, you know, probably would have earned the right to to go on to uh, the British and Irish Lions series, which he expressed to me at uh, the World Cup, uh, one of the World Cup bid announcements last year, that uh, absolutely he was open to doing. Um, you remember, he's only, you know, uh, I guess. Now, two years, it was kind of a three and a half year deal that he originally signed, wasn't it there, which 
um, began a, a little earlier than planned with the with the pandemic and, and the northern season finishing up um, up there with Glasgow a little earlier. So he was able to come down and get cracking maybe a couple of months earlier than planned. But um, he's still, you know, setting things up and uh, clearly he's got a massive run to the World Cup, but uh, perform there and it's going to be pretty tough to to move him on. Um, I guess then it does become this this balancing act of um, what is or do we need a, a succession plan then and and who is better suited to that? Um, I think everyone, you know, assumed that Dan McKellar was the man to do it and, and probably still is despite the, the um, uh, RA suggesting otherwise last week in the statement that Andy Marinos then released uh, in response to all this uh, uh, on uh, early Thursday afternoon, just before East, just before Good Friday. And, um, you know, it's, it's clearly uh, is it a situation whereby that ultimately Rugby Australia will miss out. One of these guys, Brad Thorne or Dan McKellar, will be lost to Australian rugby. Quite, quite possibly. It was very interesting that Rugby Australia, with their release, uh, the rugby statement, absolutely said nothing. You know, they, they didn't... They didn't um, try to to water down anything about Brad Thorne or the, the Reds there. All they said is there's no heir apparent, um, you know, and, and that's completely fair and reasonable that they did that. But it really, it probably adds to the sense that the reporting around Brad Thorne, the Queensland Reds last week was probably accurate. Um, yes, yeah, so I don't think you want an heir apparent. I think Scott Robinson, I think New Zealand rugby missed the, the jump there with with Ian Foster and, and Scott Robinson last year, where they or well, in twenty twenty, where they clearly wanted um, Ian Foster there. Even people like Graham Henry have hit out around the process because it meant people like Dave Rennie and Jamie Joseph didn't apply for the New Zealand rugby coaching role. Um, I wouldn't think that you want that either to to occur at rugby in Australia at the Wallabies level. You look at you know the coaches across Australian um, New Zealand rugby in you know the, the long period where Henry into Steve Hansen into Ian Foster, the likes of Jamie Joseph, Dave Rennie, Chris Boyd, um, you know, there's obviously others there that they they go overseas. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. You know, no. if you if you keep the lines of communication open around um, going forward, Stephen Larkham's gone overseas, will he come back a better coach? The Brumbies think so. You know, Lord Laurie Fisher thinks so. That's why he's coming back and they're opening that, that role again up for him. So I think it's, it's brilliant if you can do that. And that's something that, from my understanding, Scott Johnson was quite good at, quite receptive at. He met with, with Stephen Lark and he met with Andy Friend, spoke with those coaches, um, even uh, at, at London Irish, skates my name at the moment there, but the Australian head coach there. Um, those lines of communication have to be open. And when you want that particular coach, you need a pounce. So um, if, if one of those do go overseas, not a bad thing at all. You just want to make sure that you come back because at the end of the day, the Wallabies for an Australian, the Wallabies coaching role is, is just about the top of the tree. Um, we know Eddie Jones is in England at the moment. They're going to be paying him a truckload. There's not going to be other many other unions that can meet his price match. Um, but, but as long as they can come back and find a way home, not a bad thing at all. Yeah, let's kiss uh, London Irish, mate. I uh, just double-checked that. He's the man. Um, so, yeah, I mean, great to see, you know, that there are uh, guys offshore doing their thing. And uh, and speaking to Andy Friend, the head of the Olympics last year for a story on 
Morris Longbottom said that, uh, you know, he hadn't ruled out a, a return to Australian rugby at some point. Uh, he was loving his time over there with Connacht and having a, a fair degree of success given the resources that he has to work with compared to the other uh, Irish franchises there. And before we just leave this, worth mentioning that there is always a fair degree of scepticism uh, from Ballymore towards Moore Park. This is nothing new um, ever since the move into the professional era. You know, clearly that uh, the Waratahs are based in in Sydney and, and not that they, they've always had a rosy relationship with the, with the top brass at RA or Australian Rugby Union previously. Um, but uh, yeah, Ballymore, uh, you know, there's a fair degree of, uh, of distrust at times and, and this is nothing new. So, uh, so stay tuned. Um, Chris, let's move on to a bit of actual, sorry, one more. Oh, well, I just think, you know, on that, we've seen New South Wales is copied, well, not necessarily copied, they're doing it in their own way, but they're very much following the same path as, as Queensland at the moment. You know, it was tumultuous in the, in the back office that sorted that out, I think. And you're seeing, you know, Darren Coleman come through uh, the Waratahs five from eight at the moment. We'll talk a little bit more about them at the moment, but they're, they're, they're laying some of the foundations for next year. Um, and when we talk about timing, well, Michael Checker took two years to, to win it, you know, in his second season. I'm not suggesting that the Waratahs will either next year, but there will be a, a finals push, I think, next year because a lot of those youngsters are now three, four years in. And when you look at the Queensland Reds, a lot of them are six or well, five, six years in. So the real issue for both of those franchises and state unions is to keep the middle tier because, yes, the top tier are predominantly being wrapped up. They need to keep the middle tier. We've already seen Angus Scott Young, Luke and Solicone Loto leave. They don't want to lose too many more of those because then you have a really top um, heavy and very you know fresh and raw bottom. Um, the Waratahs aren't in danger of them uh, at the moment because they're all pretty much in that lower to middle tier, but they're pushing up you know with each passing year. So that's the concern for the Reds going forward. How do you keep them together that middle tier particularly? Well, let's start with the Waratahs then, mate, and then I guess their their hopes pushing through for the rest of the season, as you mentioned. Five from eight, uh, they kick off Super Round on Friday uh, against the Chiefs, which we're all looking forward to as a concept for the first time in rugby. Um, I guess the big issue they're facing is, uh, and you talk, spoke, touched on it there with, with the Reds, is, is retention. Now, will they be able to hold on to each of Tane, Edmund, Will Harrison and Ben Donaldson? Because Edmund has been a real driving factor in their in their strong form the last couple of weeks, controlling the game really well. A couple of try assists on the weekend against the force. Um, lovely break and then a, a lovely cutout ball for, for Alex Newsom to score. Um, he's uh, he's clearly a talented guy. And I remember uh, Coleman saying that Darren Coleman staying at the start of the season, um, that they've all got their strengths. And if they're all, if I had all their strengths uh, in the one player, then I'd had one hell of a, a fly half. Now, um, clearly, you know, Donaldson has developed probably a little bit faster than, than Harrison, um, who was the original selection there at number 10 back a few years ago under Rob Penny. Um, but he's been coming off the bench quite nicely the last couple of weeks, can also play fullback. Um, Ed Ben speaking yesterday on, on Waratah's media saying that, um, you know, he's just concentrating with things on the field as players tend to do. Um, but uh, is this a reality? Can they keep all three of these guys? Or do you expect that, that one of them will, will head... Uh, uh, to another Aussie franchise in search of greater opportunities. Oh, my, my bet is that the Warriors won't be able to keep him. 
you know, as much as they want to. I, I don't think they can. When you think that Kirtley Bill's also coming back next yep. year, it's another position where they can't, um, you know, three or four doesn't go into one or two, does it? So I think, unfortunately, for Tane, um, he's, you know, I wouldn't think his best bet is to go anywhere near the Melbourne Rebels at the moment, but um, you only have to look at Carter Gordon and just see how he's kind of been used over the last year or two. Um you know, the Western Force have got a history of not necessarily developing players and turning them into Wallabies. I think the Brumbies could be a chance, particularly if they can't keep on to Noel and there's maybe a bit more about that to come. But Tane Edmund's a good player. You know, he, he looked pretty assured from the get-go. And people like John Manetti from the Eastwood Rugby Club and, and uh, their head coach were, they came out pretty strong last year when they were talking around Edmund and uh, suggesting, you know, this guy's had not just one season of shoot shield rugby behind him, but he's had a couple of years and he's been able to play rugby. Whereas you looked at at the time, Donaldson and Harrison, but particularly Donaldson hadn't played that much rugby where Edmund had, and he's showing that now he's showing, you know, a bit of conviction when he goes to the line, good communication skills, well-rounded player. Um, So, you know, he's, he's an important player to keep in the game, full stop. Um, this is where the centralisation um, player sharing kind of comes into it a little bit. And, and it comes down to the player who goes, well, where do I want to be in, in three years' time as, as the player? You know, is, is, is my best chance to go potentially to the Brumbies and make sure that I'm playing many, many minutes? Or is it to stay at the Waratahs? Maybe there's a bunch of three or four players where there's the competitive tension and there's bound to be injuries. You know, that's the thing. There is bound to be injuries, so you'll get opportunities. But the issue is, how does a player get money? Because when there's only a certain amount of money that's in a salary cap, well, you know, the pie gets smaller and smaller with each passing player that signs. So... Someone like Edmund, who might be able to get a cup, maybe 150,000 at a different club, probably will only get, you know, 100, 110 by staying at the Waratahs because there's just simply not enough money there. That's the issue. Yeah, uh, real watch this space on that one as well, um, particularly if the Waratahs uh, can find a, a few wins against Kiwi teams over the coming weeks. We mentioned they've got the Chiefs uh, to kick off Super Round. Uh, the Brumbies have got the Highlanders, Reds, the Hurricanes. Uh, the Rebels have got the Crusaders uh, and the Force uh, must have then, because we've got the Blues and the Drua, who am I missing? Force and the Chiefs, sorry, not from the Warriors has got the Chiefs. Anyway, the one short there. Um, you'd have to so say... The Force has got Moana Pacifica on the, oh, on the Friday that's, night. That's right, the second game on Friday night. So um, you would think that they would be in it with a chance of, of winning that one. Um Reds uh, and the Hurricanes uh, could go either way, and and so too the Brumbies and the Highlanders. Um, now, last year, of course, in the Trans-Tasman crossover series, the, the record Australia uh, versus New Zealand collectively was was two and twenty-three. Um, do you expect while there are more games clearly this time around over the next six weeks, um, and including of course the Drawer as well, um, do you uh, envisage a, a more successful strike rate for the Aussie teams? through this period coming up or will it be similar to last year and there might only be, you know, a handful of, of victories for uh, for perhaps the Reds and, and Brumbies and, and the Waratahs at a stretch? 
Oh, I think there's there's some cause to be optimistic about what's to come. You know, we saw a couple of the Kiwi games on the weekend, and and you've been watching them closely the whole season. Um, they're, they're, they started a bit slower, perhaps, the Kiwis, but they're starting to hit their straps, that's for sure. A cracking game between the, the Blues and Crusaders, a really yeah. good matchup between both Barrett and, and the Jumana. And they look at class above. Yeah, yeah, and they certainly do. You know, when there's firepower right the way through, um, comes down to decision making and 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 uh, and depth. That's the real issue. I think I think across the board, the Australian sides have improved. They're in a better state this time, um, heading into the first weekend than last time. You remember last year, off the back of the Super Rugby AUW. Now I've I've, I've had a few people fire some shots at me by going, well, you know. Aren't the Reds, you know, can't they celebrate some success, some silverware? Well, you know, absolutely they can. The Crusaders did too. I'm pretty sure they knocked the, the head off their trophy, um, yep. you know, and yep. they had to issue an apology for, um, for breaking the trophy there. Um, but the issue is I don't think they carried on for 48 hours, you know, 36 hours. They didn't have the first game on the Friday night, um, whereas the Reds did. You know, they're parting from the Saturday night into the Sunday they rock up. You're a bit slow on the Monday. Before you know it, you're on a plane to Dunedin. And, and you know, not only that, you've got guys like Fraser McWright coming off the bench. There was one or two injuries there. A couple of guys rested. It was a bit of a schmozzle. And, you know, yep. when you, you're in the up against the Highlanders who are the bottom place side of a New Zealand franchise, it was, well, that's a one you need to win when you're playing the Crusaders in the second week. Um, you know, you... you or, or, or I'm the first person that loves a beer and I've written about that in the past, but um, not so much my drinking uh, ability or lack of but, but the fact that you should celebrate, and that's what Brad Thorne did, but you, you've got to keep a lid on it um, in high-performance rugby, particularly under the circumstances of Australian rugby being going down each year, digressing each year for the last two decades. So there's a bit of personal responsibility that needed to be taken. Um, this time round, the Reds have well-positioned from a, a depth point of view. Um, Richie Asatasa back for, at, at, at Hawker. Um, but otherwise, they're pretty strong. You know, Jock Campbell will return in the next week or two, you would think. Um, you look at the Brumbies, Noel Olaseo, I believe, is a chance to play this weekend. Um, but but uh, in the next week or two, hopefully you see a Tom Banks and you see a... Um, and Noel Olesio return, and therefore they have a couple of you know strike weapons there. But they went into that that match um, last year against the Crusaders, where they were only just beaten. But they went out with you know four or five of their top first line forwards missing, so they were always on the back foot. That's not going to happen this year. Much stronger position, which is a great sign that your two strongest teams are going to be pressing. Um, know that the Waratahs are building. Um, the Rebels are starting to get some troops back and they're starting to play with a bit more continuity, a bit more confidence in what they're trying to do. So last year, Dave Rennie, I think, was probably you know hoping that they would win a few more than they did. I think this year he's got reason for that hope, which is just a great sign for Australian rugby. Um, you know, what, what do you think is a is a, a target? You know, you don't necessarily want to be putting a target about how many games and Dave Rennie quite personally, has stayed away from that. But what would you think he would be hoping for? I think if you look at the the Reds and Brumbies, and I, I clearly believe that they they can beat certainly the the Highlanders um, and the Hurricanes. And I guess we, we can throw Moana Pacifica 
in there as well. They're not essentially a, a New Zealand team. They're run by New Zealand rugby and, and clearly they're being used to, to drive uh, participation and and uh, the, the pathway channels for, for Tonga and Samoa. Um, but I think the Hurricanes and Highlanders are certainly beatable um, from the Reds and and Brumby's perspective. The Waratahs too. Uh, Highlanders have got Marty Banks in there at number 10 or certainly um, had Mitch Hunt come off the bench at the weekend. They've got a fair few injuries. Um, and it was a pretty dour, at times dour game as it was earlier in the season between those two uh, in Dunedin on the weekend. Um, uh, Hurricanes, uh, you know, they've got probably a little bit more firepower than perhaps the Highlanders do, but um, still relying, you know, quite heavily on, on Artie Sevilla to provide the, the thrust up front. Um, uh, overnight, of course, Asafo and Lewis just got a, a three-week ban. Um, Scott Barrett, four weeks from the Crusaders. Um, and they've got injury concerns at lock beyond Barrett's suspension. Um, clearly still got a, a heap of firepower in the Blues, as we mentioned earlier. It seemed to be the, the team to beat at this point. So, I mean, if you, you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, yeah, let's say the Reds and Brumbies win a couple there. The Waratahs might pick up one, one or two. Um, I, I think somewhere around that, that 10 number this time around um, is probably not a bad return. Now, um, we might all be wrong and uh, we might have, you know, overlooked that uh, the Aussie teams aren't travelling as well as we think. But I think looking at the games compared to last year um, and certainly the improvement in the Waratahs, that, um, you know, they are playing a little bit better collectively at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the real test is going to be, can the Browns or the Reds, one of them sneak a home semi-final? Because if they can, you know, to see one of those sides make it into a, into a, a final, it not only enhances everyone's chances from that front franchise to make it into the Wallabies for an England series, which is fast approaching. Um, but you know, you look at even the Chiefs, and we—they're a side that is um, on their day, you know, as threatening as any. You know, that back three is very elusive indeed. But you know, if you were to take out two players from, from the Chiefs at the moment, one's playing in Japan in Damian McKenzie, and the yeah. other. Brady Vitalik is sitting on the sidelines. So, yep. you know... As, Anton Leonard-Brown as, as well. Anton Leonard-Brown, you know, the three probably most threatening there. Yes, their back row is still great. Yes, they've still got a, an all-black or two in the front row. But, um, you know, Broom Gatlin's there's a reason why he's gone to a couple of different franchises. Um, he's not he's not a Damian McKenzie or he's not a Barrett or a Moanga or before that, a um, you know, an Aaron Cruden or a Colin Slade. So... Um, there are chances, there's holes, there's not quite the same depth from the New Zealand sides at the moment, I wouldn't think. Um, and at the moment, the Australian sides are pretty well placed. Uh, or as you know, you look at the, the, the Waratahs, you know, now that they've got Hooper back, Angus Bell growing, they've got their front row, which is pretty well in stock. And that's the key for a lot of these sides is the type five. How can they stay fit, um, particularly for, for, the, uh, for the Waratahs? So... Um, exciting. I think it's exciting to see where they can get to because it's ultra important um, that they, these sides fire a shot or two and surprise a side or two. Um, I know that you know, exchanging a couple of texts with Darren Coleman on Sunday, he said, we're excited for the challenge. You know, we don't, he, he didn't go as far to say that, you know, we're laying the, 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 the ground for next year, but that's what it is. It's really making a marker here, something that you can kick on to for some of those sides and, and for the Brumbies and Reds, it's a challenge to go, well, yeah, we, we want our coaches to go out on a strong, you know, for someone like Dan McKellar, who hasn't had 
you know, silverware in 2020 with the Super Rugby AU comp, but he's joining the Wallabies full-time. This is an opportunity for him to go, you know, I've taken a super side to, to the summit. Absolutely. I uh, really can't wait for it all to kick off this weekend and, uh, yeah, roll through uh, what will be a fantastic uh, final six weeks to the regular season. Uh, mate, just before we call Britt Mitchell in for a Super W final preview, which, of course, will be played uh, on the Saturday down there at Super Round, um, just a bit of news of yours. Uh, the Australia A program getting rebooted, which uh, has got to be good news. Yeah, it's good news for a couple of reasons. Um, but the, the biggest one is probably if you take out the top 30, 35 players for a Wallabies, Wallabies squad, how do the next 35 get um, some, some, some match practice under their belts that they can take into either being called into a Wallabies squad later in the year or um, the next year into Super Rugby? So, it, it, you know, as Andy Marinos described, um, these sorts of programs are played across the, the, you know, the world with England and the Saxons and, um, you know, you've got the New Zealand Maori there. Um, helping out, you know, and obviously they've got a, a third tier competition. Australia doesn't have that at the moment. So without that, really important. Uh, and, you know, does it allow you to, to help the Pacific Island nations? Possibly. But it's also very intriguing when you throw in some of the guys like Israel Folau, that might be playing on Australian sh uh, shores. Um, I think it, it will create some headlines and there'll be some real interest around rugby, which I think is only a good thing. Yeah, uh, you can only imagine uh, that there'd be plenty of people keen to see that game. If uh, it was to indeed feature Izzy, and, and as you uh, reported there, uh, certainly his intention is to play for Tonga uh, along with a, with a few others out there. Um, and they could uh, mount one hell of a team at the World Cup next year. All right, back shortly. Pleasure to welcome in uh, ESPN colleague Brittany Mitchell for the first time this year uh, to talk a bit of Super W ahead of the final this weekend and reflect on uh, the regular season as a whole, which uh, of course included uh, the Fijian, Fijiana Drua, sorry, for the first time, and they have swept all before them to date. Uh, Britt, great to see you. Um, let's just start with, I, I guess, the regular season. The Waratahs suffering their first loss to uh, the Drua girls there uh, weekend before last. Um, they've really added something to this competition uh, and uh, brought the best or clearly proven that they are the team to beat, getting that automatic position straight through to the final. Um, but what kind of rugby have they actually been playing? Has it been the, the typical Fijian style or is there a bit of uh, also, I guess, test substance to uh, to what we uh, we expect when we naturally think of, of Fijian rugby? Mm. Uh, hey, guys. Great to be back. Um, like you said, Fijiana have, uh, you, you know, just swept the pool. They came out firing in the first game and, and they've just essentially been unstoppable. Um, I think Ilaseva... Badasabaga from the Tars kind of said it after their loss a couple of weeks ago. You know, when you bring in a team that are consistently training day in, day out, they don't have to worry about what's going on on the side. You can see the results. Fijiana don't have to study. They don't have to go to work during the day. They're in camp all the time. And you can just see that difference, the level between the teams. Um, when you say about what they've brought to the competition, I mean, I don't think anyone <laughs> was surprised what kind of game they brought. They brought that the usual Fijian flair. They wanted to play quick tempo games, uh, the offload game, but their set piece has also been really strong and they don't give away a lot. If you make mistakes, they pounce. And that's exactly what we saw when they were playing the Waratahs. The Waratahs 
were a bit sloppy and they tried to match that quick game plan that Fijiana were playing. They wanted to play offloads, which isn't their game. Um, and they tried to outdo Fijiana at their own game. And we saw in the first 17 minutes, um, uh, the first, oh, yeah, 17 minutes, Fijiana scored three tries. And once that happened, the Tars were never really in it. They were playing catch up, which is not something they're used to. They're normally, uh, they might get tested early, but they hold strong and then they push through for massive wins. Like what we saw the last two games against the Reds, they were pushed early but they held strong and then they came out for a what 36-0 win just recently over the Reds. So I think what Fijiana have done has just, you know, kind of blitzed them all, have come out firing really quickly and they've held, if they have been tested, which they were in their first game against the Reds in the opening round, they held strong, they waited for the, the right opportunity. They, they didn't make, uh, you know, they didn't get frazzled or anything. They didn't want to throw the ball away. That when they did have the ball, they made sure to use it well and, and they relied on, on their strengths uh, quite well. They just, you know, they did they did the offloads and they pushed um, the Reds' defence and then they did the same against the Waratahs. They just manipulated the defence until they found all the, the big holes. And a lot of their tries come from essentially the halfway line. They, they make a, a good offload and there's always support following. And then you just see the defence is scattered. And, you know, they're regularly making 50, 60-metre tries. What about the Reds? Tell us. Sorry, Christy, you go. Um, you know, the Super Rugby or Super W, you know, the, the players there because of COVID haven't been able to play nearly as much. You know, you talk about the fact that Fiji at the moment look like they've got a lot more continuity about their play, but how much did that really impact Australian um, women's rugby there? The fact that COVID um, really brought the game to a, to a halt there. Mm, I think it had a huge effect. Um, you know, you look at, teams like the Waratahs, well, even just the the Wallaroo squad, they didn't come, they've only come together once in two years. And so there's kind of been a stagnation in development. Uh, you, like the Waratahs have done well and they've brought in some younger players. If you look like uh, Tatum Bird, who's played at both nine and on the wing, she's, I think, 19 years old. They've brought another girl in whose name has just escaped me, but she's playing in, in the back row in the second row, sorry, and she's only 16 years old. So there's a heap of young girls coming through, but there has kind of been, there hasn't been a, a, a strong development since, you know, 2019, really, because 2020, um, the competition just got ended. Uh, they didn't even get to play their final. Last year, they played their competition in two weeks. Um, mm. And so they didn't get to come together and really work together. I guess the only benefit we've seen over the last few months is they did get the Waratahs and a lot of these teams did get to come together and have a massive preseason, which is, you know, great. They get to come together and uh, spend a lot of time together. But I think they tell you that no one really wants to be in preseason mode for yes. six months. Um, yeah. I think we have seen, though, in some other aspects. So, like the Rebels, um, first game, they kind of got blown out of the water. But round two and um, we did see there was there, there'd been um a bit of development and they ended up drawing with the brumbies and that was you know the, the closest they've ever come to a win um so that's fantastic and we can see these other teams are making some progress against each other it's just that when you see the waratahs and the reds are they're up here and, and teams really have to push to make it up to that level there's still a long way to go 
Um, and then the similar thing like with when um, club rugby stopped last year. So that was a whole lot of the women's season done as well, which is where a lot of the, de the development comes from as well. So if you missed out on three, four months of, of playing, you know, you do miss out on a lot of development. And um, hopefully after these few weeks and after the introduction of Fijiana, the Wallaroos and these Super W girls have been introduced to um, stronger play, faster play. And, um, you know, we can see that the Wallaroos create more depth and, and look stronger on the international stage because of it. Let's talk about the the final, uh, specifically, Britt. Um, where can or what can the Waratahs uh, women do to, to flip the script, to turn the tables on, on Fijiana this time around? You mentioned not getting sucked in um, to playing this Fijiana style of game. Um, but um, have they got the firepower? Uh, we know Mahalia Murphy has been scoring tries for fun this year, despite um, a real heavy COVID battle earlier in the year, as you reported on ESPN last week. Um, what can they do? Uh, are they a chance of really winning this game uh, to kick off the second day of, uh, of Super Round on Saturday? Yeah, um, I think it's going to be tough. I would put my money on Fijiana just because I, I don't see the Waratahs uh, being able to slow them down. I think um, last time around they were the Waratahs were missing Mahalia. And I think as we've seen through this season, Mahalia has been, you know, their top player. She scored, uh, I think she's on nine, uh, 10 tries now. She scored against the Reds um, last week. Uh, that's a, a pretty phenomenal effort. She scored five alone against the Rebels. She's been one of their strongest players. She's great in attack and defence, and she'll be key for them this weekend. They were missing her last time around. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, unfortunately, Arabella McKenzie, their fly half, got injured uh, against the Reds on Thursday night. Hopefully she'll be back. She's quite, she's a strong linchpin in that back line. They'll, they can go without her, but I think they'd really want to have her um, leading the backs um, if they can get her on the field. She'll be really important for them. But I think, as we said, just making sure they don't get sucked into that game plan. If they hold strong, I think if they keep Fijiana out for the first 15, 20 minutes, they'll really give themselves a chance because they're a team that builds through a game. Um, yes, with some teams like the Rebels and the Brumbies, they might score really quickly and get uh, get through the get on out of the gates early. But I think with a team like Fijiana, they'll really have to hold strong that first 20 minutes, um, make sure their defence lays a platform for them, and then they'll need to work off that. If they get sucked into that really quick offload game again, and their defence kind of starts to fracture, um, I think it'll be all over for them. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be a great game, I reckon. But, yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm, I'm going to be putting my money on Fijiana just because I, I just I, – I don't think the Waratahs really have um, an answer for them going into this week. Well, we know how much the, the Fiji and Drua have added to um, to Super Rugby. So I think, if, if anything, it's a great thing for the competition to have the Fijiana in, in the competition. Um, uh, just the, the platform that it allows playing the game on Saturday with the men, um, we've seen that you know, happen a little bit, I think, back in 2018, 19, and then it kind of came to a stop with the COVID. But um, 
you know, how important is it just for the, the development of women's rugby to be able to be seen on a platform where they're playing, you know, whether or not it's curtain raises or before double headers, however you want to call it, but how important is that for the development of women's rugby? Yeah, I think it's huge. And talking to some of the girls over the last few weeks when it um, kind of came out that they'd be playing at the Super Round, they're really excited. They really like, um, they really want to have a crowd there and they want to show the talent that they have and the develop of the game and, and just give give fans something that they, they can be excited about. I think when we saw the girls, the Tars women play the force after the Waratahs force game, uh, a few weeks ago, there was a decent crowd, like a huge crowd stuck around. Um, there was a, a great crowd for the men's game and then they stuck around to watch the women and they were treated to a great contest. And I think that shows that people, if they're given an opportunity to watch the game, they'll sit there and they'll watch it and they'll really, they'll be entertained by it. And there's a huge, I think there's a good growing fan base in, the, uh, in women's rugby. Um, I think a lot of the time people kind of, they might just, you know, try to sweep it aside and be like, oh, you know, it's not as good a product. But I think if more people sat there and got an opportunity to see it, which is exactly what's going to happen on Saturday, more people would realise that there's there's some great talent in Australia. There's a really grow, really growing development base in women's rugby. And if you get, if there's more opportunities to see them, if it's not put on, you know, a Saturday Arvo, um, in like backwaters, people aren't going to go to that. But if they they put it on at a Saturday Saturday Arvo before the Tars Rebels, or they put it on the Sunday after the the Tars Force, or you know things like that, people are going to stick around. People are going to go early. People are going to watch it, and that's how you grow the game, and that's how you get more people interested in it. And that's why you know you have a segment on on a podcast about rugby, and you you give 10 minutes or 15 minutes to the women's game because people want to hear it. People want to know more about what's going on. So yeah, having them this weekend at uh, the super round is, is fantastic. And like I said, so many of the girls are so excited to get a crowd along to get down there and, um, you know, show off what they can do. Yeah, well, it's, it's incredibly important because you, you put it in the, the frame, the context that the NRLW is looking to expand their competition um, we see the AFLW continually go from strength to strength, big crowds there, particularly for finals matches. It's so important that rugby is not left behind here, um, that Rugby Australia seem to be doing things and they are doing things because we've seen Emma Tonangata go over to the NRLW, Dali M player. Where, you know, the three of us here have seen a lot of matches from Emma. We know how much of a star she was an Olympic gold medalist. The key, I think, is... You know, women's sevens team has been so strong for so long. Um, how do you perhaps integrate more of those players or continue to show, broadcast, talk up the women's sevens side and fingers crossed it can flow into that 15s team too because we know that that's, you know, people, men, women, boys, girls will want to go watch that sevens side. So why can't you do it for the 15s too? Uh, I just think it's really important. Mm, definitely. It's, it's, it's hard. Um, I, I don't know the answer. A lot of people brought up when Emma Tonegato, Millie Boyle, um, so they're two former Australian rugby players, 1.7s, 1.15s. Uh, another girl just won the Broncos 
award, uh, team award, and, and she was a former Australian, a former rugby player. Polite, well. the, the Titans, I think, had a very strong season. Yeah, and yeah, Vani Polite, who I have to be honest, is one of yeah. my favourite players, <laughs> made the switch to uh, NRLW, which I'm heartbroken about. But we can we see that the NRLW are, are looking at these talented players, a lot of sevens players, and you know we had Grace Hamilton give it a go. Charlotte Caslick go over for a season and, and she said lately that um, she's not a, she would be willing to give it a go again she liked the atmosphere um, and there's a lot of girls uh, who have been there and come back to rugby so it's really difficult how do you keep these players in rugby when one you've only got uh, five teams there's you know you can't fit every player into these teams. Um, and then plus you've got NRLW are offering money, whereas rugby is still a fair few years away from giving um, full-time payments or even part-time payments. There's only two teams, the Force and the Rebels, who are offering a, a decent, I guess you would say, um, payment system. The Waratahs are going to pay their players at the end of the season with some sort of fundraising money um but yeah it's, it's just a really hard situation to be in you've got the sevens program is full-time which is fantastic from rugby australia that's where they can keep them in there but they only have a certain amount of contracts and they've got you know they took uh piper duck to the u.s but they weren't paying her so she had to so she went over there and they, they've put her on, um, you know, like Unilever kind of thing. They, they, they're, they're expecting some kind of payment through the government. Um, so it's, it's hard to keep people around if there's, a, there's another option with payment involved. Um, it's great to hear that Rugby Australia want to start paying the Wallaroos in a few years and there's some teams that are going to be developing payment, but that's kind of the issue. How do you keep players around if if there's a better deal on offer. Luckily, Australia can say um, that rugby is, well, rugby can say that it is a global sport. If you play for the Wallaroos, you can go overseas. At the end of this year, they're going to New Zealand, they're playing international teams. Um, but yeah, it's, it's for the next few years, it'll be interesting to see how they go about keeping their big names in the, in the code and making sure that NRLW doesn't, you know, poach all these players that they have been doing. Emma Tanagato had a huge season. Barney Polite had a huge season. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a, an issue that I guess we've always faced in rugby. Um, Sydney, Western Sydney rugby players all the time end up falling into the NRL. So, yeah, next few years we'll, we'll have to keep an eye out and see what happens. Yeah, uh, clearly uh, bigger hurdles to come, but a great... great uh, Continuation point, let's call it, with the final uh, at Damon Park on, on Saturday afternoon and then urge everyone who's going to that to get along early and, and take that in or watch it on. I think it's on free-to-air television as well as uh, a Stan Sports, so another great uh, initiative there from, from Nine and Stan. Uh, all right, team, uh, that'll do us for this week. Uh, fantastic to have you both on. Britt, thanks for dropping in uh, in a big week for women's rugby and we'll get you back on uh, for the Wallaroos uh, in a few weeks' time with the, the quad series. Christy, as ever, mate, uh, you travel safe uh, from uh, from Tasmania. Where's the next stop? No, sir. Uh, yep, but uh, not all fun with the rugby ahead, so I look forward to next week. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon.